You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. The reading this evening comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Again, I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother, Yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would now help us to see the Lord Jesus, a friend of sinners. We pray that you would use uh, the gospel of his kingdom to call us to be uh, deeper friends with him, but Lord, now we pray that you would use this gospel to cause us to be deeper friends with one another. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, This evening is a torch week, so if you are a fourth through sixth grader and want to think through the last several weeks of Proverbs sermons that we've been considering together, uh, Patrick is going to take you upstairs hang out, talk through the Proverbs, talk through wisdom. We have been indeed thinking through, uh, kind of topically, the last many weeks uh, through the book of Proverbs. And today, we need to get to a very, very important topic, a topic that is just littered throughout the Proverbs, and that is that of friendship. Uh, Listen, I know that you're about to groan and roll your eyes, but I'm about to talk about the Lord of the Rings again. Uh, Listen, if... If friendship isn't the main theme of The Lord of the Rings, uh, it's certainly one of them. Uh, There's Gandalf and Bilbo, there's Merry and Pippin. Uh, In the movies, they certainly emphasize Legolas and Gimli. And then, of course, the deepest friendship in the whole thing, that of Sam and Frodo. Uh, Tim Keller points out that while this friendship was an important part of the movie, uh, today, since this movie, the movie series, was made in the 21st century, uh, we had to take the Aragorn and Arwen relationship and bring it front and center, which wasn't really a thing in the books. Uh, It barely gets mentioned in the appendices of The Lord of the Rings, but we had to make this front and center in our movies because romantic love. Romantic love is nearly always the emphasized relationship in today's culture. We don't care about the dudes that Justin Bieber might watch a basketball game, do we? like in like TMZ or something, who cares who the guys are that he's sitting next to? Or we don't care about the girlfriends that Taylor Swift loves to go on coffee dates with, do we? We don't care. We just care about who they're dating. Our culture doesn't value friendship. Just, well, not just, but moreover, that of romance. C.S. Lewis points out that no, no culture really values friendship the way it ought. Lewis writes, friendship is unnecessary. Follow me here, follow Lewis on this. Friendship is unnecessary. Like philosophy, like art, it has no survival value, he says. 
What he's meaning at, and of course, I'm sure you could pick and prod at that, what he's saying is that friendship isn't necessarily biologically necessary, like romantic love, or, and it is less sociologically necessary, like familial love is. Friendship doesn't force itself upon you. It's possible for all of us to go out and live our lives as complete hermits. We could survive. We could do it. It doesn't force itself on us. Friendship is the only kind of love that must be deliberate. And so what does Solomon think about friendship? To answer this question, we're going to ask three more questions over the course of the next 35 minutes or so. We're going to ask these three questions. Why do we need friends? Who should be our friends? And then what do I do if I don't have these friends? What should we do from here? All right. So why do we need friends? The first thing, the first reason is because we've been created. Follow me on this. We've talked about this in our membership class. If you've gone through the membership class with us, uh, in Genesis 2, 18, we read this, that the Lord God said, it is not good that man should live alone. It's not that God uh, looked at Adam and then just said, all he needs is me. He said, it's actually not good for him to be alone. It wasn't Adam that says, this is not good. No, God says, it is not good for him to be alone. God knows what is best for Adam, and that includes relationships. This means that on purpose, God made us so that not even paradise, not even fellowship with him could be enough. We need relationships. Many of the things that, we, that God wants to teach us about himself, teach us about ourselves, can only come through other human beings. That sounds weird, right? But it's true. We learn about ourselves. We learn about conflict. We learn about the gifts of the Spirit. How many uh, gifts of the Spirit are you actually able to live out if you lived on a deserted island? Some, but we live with each other. He has created us to need friendships, to need relationships. A second reason that we need friendships, not only because we are created to need them, but secondly, because friends, true friends, are constant. Solomon writes this in Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Now just think about your brothers and sisters, if you have them. It's possible that you are not all that close to your brothers or sisters. It's possible that you are, but it's possible that you aren't. Familial relationships do not have to be deliberate. You're just born, born into them. That's who you got. You may not like your brother and sister. I pray that's not so. We're trying to instill in our four boys the expectation that these will be your best friends for life. Like your other friends that you're in class with, uh, they may come, they may go. You may, never, you may never talk to them again after you graduate high school or something, but these guys, these four boys, these are, you're going to see them for the rest of your life. So we want to instill friendship in them, but we can't make them. And that's what this, Proverbs is, this proverb is saying, that a friend loves at all times. Your brother and sister may only love in adverse times, times of tragedy. Like I'm sure many of us perhaps uh, have brothers and sisters, or we know of friends or family who only see their brothers or sister or their, their family and like times of funerals. Again, it's possible for a brother or sister to become one of these friends, but not necessarily. Your true friends, though, Solomon is saying, 
will always be there. They are constant. In the words of Paul in Romans 12, rejoice with those, rejoice, they will rejoice with you when you rejoice, and they will mourn with you when you mourn. That is a true friend. Proverbs 20, verse 6, many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find? He's saying lots of people can say that they're your good friends, but when you actually find a faithful friend, oh, that is just a gift that is beyond measure. Tim Keller says that a companion might say to you, hey, call me if you need anything in a time of trouble. But a friend says, I'm there right now, even if it costs me something. They don't need to ask. One of the greatest pictures that we have of sacrificial friendship in the Bible is that of David and Jonathan. David is the Lord's anointed, the future king of Israel. And Jonathan, the son of the king, knows it. He knows that this guy, David, has been anointed as king. And yet, Jonathan is committed to his friend. He's committed to the promises that God has made to David. He doesn't see David as a threat. He's committed to him. Jonathan is the eldest son of the present king, the father King Saul, meaning that one day when his father dies, he would be king if it weren't for David. But in a very moving scene in 1 Samuel 18, Jonathan gives David his royal robe. He gives him his sword, He is figuratively and literally handing over the kingdom to his friend. Sacrificing his own desires for the good of his friend. Being a friend of David was costly for Jonathan, but his friendship was nevertheless constant to him. It wasn't contingent upon circumstances going well for him. It wasn't contingent upon his own advancing kingdom. His friendship was always available to David and it was never wavering. Now, one caveat there, what I'm not saying is that when friends, good friends and true friends are constant, that they are always, Proverbs 25, 17, let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, let he have his fill of you and hate you, which is very reminiscent of the famous proverb that Ben Franklin gave, that house guests like fish begin to stink after three days. That's true, perhaps. Perhaps you've all experienced that. But... That doesn't mean always, but it does mean available. Always available. I'm there whenever you need it, even if you don't ask. So true friends are constant. But we also need true friends because, a third reason, true friends counsel. They counsel. Proverbs 27, 9, perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. Pleasantness of a friend comes from earnest real, sincere counsel. And here's the thing. While not many of you have gone to school, have gone and pursued advanced degrees for counseling, every single one of you is a counselor. A counselor is just one who gives advice, gives direction. We all counsel each other in something. Almost every time we open our mouth, we are counseling someone to those who are listening to us to what we think the good life is. Which is why we thought about two weeks ago, if that's true, every time we open our mouth we are counseling, we ought to give very deliberate thought to what we speak and how we speak. But that's also why earnest or passionate, real, heartfelt, sincere counsel is so rare and is so significant. When someone is actually caring for you, when someone is actually caring for your best interests rather than their own, 
it just becomes a sweet perfume. It's valuable. It brings joy. And so true friends are constant and they counsel. But we also need them for a fourth reason. Because they correct. Proverbs 27.6 Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Now, correction is similar to counsel, but where typically the goal of counsel is to prevent something bad, the goal of correction is to restore something good. Counsel keeps us from heading on the wrong path. Correction sees us when we are already on the wrong path and then calls us to change. And do you see what Proverbs 27.6 is saying? Is that an enemy really does wound with kisses. This contrasts friendly wounds against wounding kisses. Friendly wounds against wounding kisses. Wounding kisses flatter us. Remember what we thought about flattery two weeks ago. Flattery is saying to our face what they would never say behind our backs. Flattery is usually lying, but it is always wounding. It is long-term damaging. Especially within the Christian community, if someone just ignores, if someone justifies, if someone tolerates your sin, never correcting you, well, the Proverbs are saying, that person is not really your friend. They don't love you enough to step in. They'd rather not go through all that drama. It's probably just better just to ignore this or just let it go on for a little bit longer. I know this will cause conflict in our relationship, so I'd rather not. And here's the thing. When a trusted friend corrects us, it might, it will, it will hurt. It actually does wound. But since we know that true friends are constant, we know that they actually care for us, we are then able, in wisdom, to receive correction. If we are wise, we should welcome this. Proverbs 9, 8. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you, but reprove a wise man and he will love you. Since we know that when our friends, they mourn when we mourn, when we know that they hurt, or when they hurt us, that actually causes them to hurt as well, we receive correction gladly. Now, don't hear me wrong in this in saying that we ought to just leave this room and just start opening our mouth and start correcting every little thing wrong that we see of every single friend or acquaintance whenever we see it or encounter it. Actually, offering correction uh, requires wisdom as well. But a true friend who counsels and corrects is that kind of a friend because that person cares more about you than him or herself. Gentleness and kindness are nearly always needed, though, in this kind of counsel and correction because Proverbs 27, 17 is also true, that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. There will be conflict in real and deep friendships, but it is, when it is earnest, when it is sincere conflict, then it is growth. It is sharpening. So we need friendships. As human beings, as Christians, we need friendships because we are created to need them, because true friends are constant, because true friends counsel, and because true friends correct. But then, now a second question. Who should these kinds of friends be? Who should be our friends? Proverbs 18.24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Solomon here differentiates between companions and friends. You can have tons of companions 
and be missing out on friends. You can be missing out on one who is constant and one who counsels and one who corrects. And not having these friends will lead to your ruin, will lead to your death. So how do we move beyond companionship to deeper friends? And who should these people be? I've shared this before, but in C.S. Lewis's book, The Four Loves, Lewis writes this, that friendship arises out of mere companionship when one or two of these companions discover that they have in common some interest or insight or even taste which the others do not share. And till that moment, each believed to his own unique treasure to be his own unique treasure or burden. The typical expression of opening friendship would be something like, what, you two? I thought I was the only one. That becomes deep friendship. That becomes not mere companionship, but when you, along with someone else, decide and discover, oh wait, we do have something deeply in common with one another. Maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you've uh, gone to like an away game of a sports team you follow and you say, wait, you too? Like, oh, I thought I was like an enemy territory here. Something deep begins to spark or something, just the beginning sparks of this. Maybe you've been in a foreign country and you encounter another English speaker. Oh, wait, there's, some, there's someone here that can speak my language. Or seeing a friend at like a poetry reading or a concert that you thought you were the only person in town who actually liked this band. And then you find one of these companions that you was just a companion. You're like, wow, you too. I love this band. You too. We have similar interests. Sharing something close and intimate is important to forging a great friendship. And this is why Lewis says that friendship isn't about the people themselves, but must be first about something else. He goes on to say that true friends are like traveling companions. We picture lovers face to face, but friends side by side, their eyes looking ahead. That's why it's so that those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any, he says bluntly. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. The friendship must be about something. Even if it were only an enthusiasm for dominoes or white mice, those who have nothing can share nothing, and those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. That's true. True and lasting friendships are not merely about convenience. True and lasting friendships aren't necessarily just because of where you live. Roommates in college, coworkers that you might have uh, that come and go, those aren't necessarily lasting friendships. Those can become deep friendships, but true and lasting friendships must be about something else besides the friendship. To have lasting friendships, you have to first look outside yourself. So, what should we do? Start being about something then that isn't just perhaps playing video games or watching TV or Instagram. Isn't just about the kind of music that you like and you might find somebody at that concert or something, but you must find someone who is walking in the same direction of you. And is there anything that ought to be more captivating of our gaze than the cross of Christ? We fellow travelers, who are walking, walking this pilgrim life together, we ought to be the closest fellow travelers imaginable because the thing outside of us that unites us together 
is not just dominoes or white mice, is not just a band or your favorite sports team, but is our very life. It is the most glorious, beautiful, and worthy thing to be moving toward, the most glorious, beautiful, and worthy person to be moving toward. Our friendships begin to deepen when our friendships are not just about us, but they are about Christ. Now, I need to say this. It's possible to be walking with fellow travelers in a direction that isn't Godward. Proverbs 13, 20 warns us that he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. If you hang out with wise people, you will most likely become wiser. If you hang out with foolish people, you will most likely become more foolish. Now, this is in no way saying, don't ever hang out with unbelievers. Don't ever, if you are a Christian, don't only exclusively hang out with other Christians. Every Christian is called to be on mission, to hang out with unbelievers just as Jesus did. When he went to parties, what kind of parties did he go to? Parties with tax collectors and prostitutes. So that's not what we're saying here. But what is Solomon saying? That when we hang out regularly in contexts in which sin becomes normalized, and when righteousness seems strange, then our consciences begin to evaporate. When we no longer view sin as sin, then we begin to participate, not just observe. And so one author gives two diagnostic questions for who should be our deep friends. He asks, is this friendship or association drawing the unbeliever to God? Or is this friendship and association drawing me away from God? Is this friendship or association leading the unbeliever to the light, or is it drawing me toward the darkness? If the answers to these questions are away from God or to the darkness, then it would be wise for you to create some space in these friendships, still moving toward them in love. But some space. And not just our physical friends with whom we like to hang or go to parties with. The same is true of your Facebook friends. Instagram followers, the blogs that you listen to, the TV shows that you watch, the, or the blogs that you read and the podcasts that you listen to, all of these are counselors, even perhaps constant counselors. You have invited them to be your friends of counsel. I read something about a decade ago that always stuck with me, that when you follow someone on Twitter, you are inviting them to influence your thought life as often as they like. So choose wisely. This is true of any social media platform. You are inviting this person, whomever you are following, to counsel you as often as they would like to. So choose wisely. They counsel you every day into what will make you happy, what will satisfy you, what you think is funny or attractive, and they are the friends or counselors that you are inviting. So the question becomes, are they helping you to become more joyful, more content? more peaceable, more faithful to Christ? Or are the counselors that you are inviting into your life causing you to become more anxious, more discontent, more angry? Choose wisely. Now don't hear me wrong here with actual or digital friends. Again, if you are not hanging out with people who are not Christians, you are doing the Christian life wrong. We ought to be moving towards people with the gospel of Christ. But the question is, are they being drawn to God or are you being drawn away from him? This is who our friends should be. The people we find ourselves walking beside and alongside. Those fellow travelers. 
Christians who are committed to God's glory, to your sanctification, these are who we ought to be inviting into our lives and walking alongside. And when we find ourselves traveling away from satisfaction in the cross of Christ, Lady Wisdom tells us to end those relationships or at least create some space some considerable distance between them before these relationships bring death. So, in the most immediate context, our friends, our deepest friends, ought to be those in this room, the one who we are in covenant relationship with if you are a member of this church. The one whom, if you were, the ones who, if you were here with us last week, we made covenant promises to. We reaffirmed those uh, three times a year. These people ought to be the deep friends, the co-travelers that we are living and walking through this life with. But now a third question for us. What if we don't have these friends? Many of us may not have these kinds of relationships that I've been describing, a relationship that is constant in counseling and correcting, but you want to know why? Again, I think the answer is because we just don't value it. Our culture, and we as individuals, just do not value friendship. Remember, no culture does that because it isn't biologically or sociologically necessary. It doesn't force itself on us. It must be deliberate. But why? Why? And then so what? Well, so what? First, first, you must be convinced that you actually do need deep friendships that it isn't good to be alone, that it's part of our divine image to be in deep community, that it is good for us to share burdens with one another, to encourage one another, to confront sin, to build one another up in love. We must be convinced. And if you're still not convinced, I can't recommend uh, the friendship chapter in Lewis's book, The Four Loves, any more highly. Just, if you're not convinced yet that you actually need deeper friends than the ones you've got, or we can strengthen these friendships that we already have, just go read that chapter in that book. It is so good. I, I think it's public domain now, and you can probably just Google it and read it for free tonight. But what Solomon had in mind when he also wrote Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10, what Quinn read before this sermon, that two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. We often, where do we hear that? We hear those verses read most often. Weddings, and no shade on you if you had this passage read at your wedding. I don't think this is a marriage passage. I don't think this is a romantic love passage. I think this is a friendship passage. Remember Lewis, few value it, friendship, because few experience it. I think he's on to something. The reason that we import this Ecclesiastes friendship passage into romantic relationships, the reason why we read Ecclesiastes 4 at weddings is probably because we have not really experienced the kind of friendships that Solomon is describing in Ecclesiastes 4. We don't immediately, our imaginations don't immediately go to the deep friendships that we've had throughout our life and say, oh yeah, that was just like uh, my friend Johnny at this period in my life. No, we immediately, our imaginations immediately go to marriage, to romantic love. Because it's likely the kind of relationships that we really value. This is the reason why so many assume that there must be something else going on there with Sam and Frodo. 
There's something romantic there because we don't have that kind of imagination for that kind of friendship. Same with other contemporary readings of David and Jonathan's friendships or friendship. Most likely, if you don't think you need these friendships or even don't think that they're possible, it's because you've not experienced the kind of thing that I'm talking about of deep emotional time spent with one another. David and Jonathan experienced deep and emotional time with one another of hearts being knitted together of self-sacrifice, and just a desire to be with one another. We don't value this, but we desperately need these kinds of relationships in our lives. And when we don't have them, we bundle all of our relational and psychological needs, and then we import them on one person, our spouse, setting up our marriages for failure and disappointment, or when we are not married, feeling never satisfied, feeling always discontent, always needing the deep friendship that could be given to us by so many, but then we assume can only be given by one. And so we must first need, we, we need to first be convinced that we actually need these friendships, and maybe we've made just a, a small bit of progress here tonight. But then second, while you can't force friendships, like, again, I think you'd be just as pathetic as C.S. Lewis imagined if you like made a Facebook post or a Craigslist ad to just advertise for a need for friends. While you can't force them, you can be more deliberate, more intentional with the friends or perhaps even just the companions that you currently have. My junior and senior year of college, uh, we, I lived with four other guys, and we, once a month, the first Sunday night of the month, we would go out to eat and we had a time that we called Top Shelf. Uh, top Shelf was just, it was like the, the creme de la creme of conversation. It had to be. If we didn't have Top Shelf, we would have throughout the month only talked about sports and girls and movies and music. We weren't really trying to apply the Proverbs, I don't think then, but what I think we were trying to do was unknowingly understanding the truth of Proverbs 18.24 that a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer to than a brother. We didn't want to be mere companions. It is possible for you to have lots of companions, lots of surface level, inch deep friendships, and then find that you have none. This is why we have valued the structure of our gospel communities, of our smaller discipleship groups, of Recognize the, recognizing the importance of creating, cultivating, and deepening friendships. Now, it's possible, if not likely, that some of those people may not become those deep, deep friendships. We can't force them. But we want to create structures in which you can find and grab hold of those friends, uh, and then perhaps even just companions, but then deepen those friendships over the course of the next several decades, over countless coffees or breakfasts or dinners or vacations together, whatever they may be, that aren't like structured by the way of the church for you. And so while you can't force friendships, you can be more deliberate, more intentional with the companions and the friends that you already have. But then a third takeaway here. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've so far framed everything about what friends do to you. They are constant. 
They counsel, they correct, they are always there for you, they walk beside you. If they are leading you away from Christ, ditch them. You know why? Well, I've said this so many times before. I'll probably say it like once a year for the rest of time. But the reason why we always think about they or them is because we think we are Frodo. No one in this room thinks of themselves or they want to think of themselves as Sam. Everyone else is there in your life for them to say to you or about you, I'm going with him. If he climbs to the moon and if any of those black writers try to stop him, they'll have Sam Gamgee to reckon with. We hope and long for other people to love us in that kind of way because we think of ourselves as the main character, the protagonist about which the story is really centered. Everyone else on the planet is there to support you in your story, perhaps even including your spouse or a future spouse. We all think of ourselves as David, there to have a Jonathan put to death his desires and his kingdom for the sake of my friendship with him. But just don't ask me to sacrifice anything for the good of him or that friendship. I know this to be true because it's true of me. Because being a constant friend is hard. It does cost. Being a counseling and a correcting friend is hard. It causes friction. I struggle with a fear of rejection. It causes uneasiness and conflict. I don't like it. But if you only wait for someone to treat your friendship with you, waiting for them to act and love sacrificially without first pursuing a friendship sacrificially on your own part, it will likely never happen. If you sit around and wait for these people to approach you in the kind of way that you want, that kind of friendship will likely never come. Because the startling news is that most people view you in the same way. You are just the side character to their story. That's how they view you. Sorry. What value do you give to them? Are you popular? Are you funny? Are you smart? Then they might want to hang around with you. If you are not, well, they might not. The moment you cost them something, rather than just giving them value, they may create distance with you, preventing a deepening. So do you create distance when a relationship costs you something, intentionally or unintentionally. If that's the case, then the gospel is urging you to live more like Sam and less like Frodo. The Proverbs are given to us that we might live, that we might just flourish in a skillful life. Solomon realizes that without true, deep, and intimate friendships in our lives, we will be like a paper airplane that just has wadded up wings destined to crash. We will think that our lives are ultimately about us and our kingdoms rather than loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind and loving our neighbors as ourselves. True friends will spur on passion for God and compassion for people. But this is not merely a pep talk. Again, in all of our Proverbs sermons, we're not trying to encourage you just to try harder or to live skillfully or just be like Sam, everybody. Because, of course, the greatest and truest friend that we have is a traveling Jewish teacher who lived and died about 2,000 years ago. Kyle read earlier the words that Jesus 
gave us that greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends, and you are my friends. We often talk about Jesus as master, as lord, as shepherd, as king. How often do you think of him as your friend? I think many of us know theologically that God loves us. Do you believe that he likes you? That's a difficult question. I think I, can, I am more willing to accept the fact that God loves me and less likely to accept the fact that he actually likes me. But the gospel of Jesus and Jesus moving toward you as a friend says that that is exactly the way that he feels about you. He likes you. He loves to be with you. He loves you so much that he will walk with you and be with you to the end of the age. He is constant. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He lived and died 2,000 years ago, but he also rose again on the third day, and if that is true, then he will never leave us or abandon us. He is a constant friend. But he's not only constant, he, through his word, is also counseling. Jesus said, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. He is preventatively trying to keep us from straying from the life apart from him. He is counseling us, urging us to stay on the road with him to avoid disaster. He's not only counseling, he, through his word, is also correcting. Where he says in John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. troubled. Believe in God, believe in me also. He is restoratively trying to call us out of our worry and out of our anxiety and back to a trust in him as a good king and friend. Because on the cross and in his humanity, Jesus lost his friendship with the Father so that you might have it. The way that we really and sacrificially move toward deep friendships is by first having been sacrificially moved toward in friendship by God. Greater love has no one than this, than someone who would lay his life down for his friends. When we have him as our heavenly, eternal, constant, counseling, correcting, unfailing friend, now we are actually free to move towards others. Not using others as a way to fill up our half-empty glasses of our hearts, but having been filled by him, now seeking to fill others unafraid of rejection, loving because he first loved us, sacrificing our wants and desires for the good of others, more like Sam and less like Frodo. Do you believe this gospel of sacrificial love, of Jesus' separation from God so that you might be a friend of God? Are your sins forgiven? If not, I pray that you would think about these things this week. I pray that you would come find me or someone else after this service and talk about what friendship with God actually looks like. Are you actually a friend with God? Does he know you, see you, accept you because of Jesus' life and death and resurrection for you? A wise man will hear and understand insight, but then we must know what to do with it. I pray that we would have wisdom, that God would give wisdom for us to know what to do with these things tonight. If you are not sure about where you stand with God, if you are not sure about why Jesus came and lived and died on the cross, please do not hear these words and ignore them this week. Don't just brush them aside or delay. Trust in Christ. Trust him as your friend. And then, having him, might we together have the kind of deep and lasting friendships that he has come to bring.
Let me pray for his help. Our Father, we are thankful that you have moved toward us as we ran our hellbound race indifferent to your will. You moved toward us. Lord Jesus, you came to us like us. You became like us. What unbelievable love, what unbelievable grace that you might open to us in the doorway of your cross and in your empty tomb. Might this love now not find its end in us, but now move through us. Might we move toward one another in sacrificial love, considering the needs of others to be more significant than our own. We pray that you might do all of these things for your great glory and for our flourishing good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ's church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.